The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, like every week of the year for the past 22 years, we've been on a mission to give you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we're talking about what has got to be the hottest topic of probably the last definitely three years, maybe five years, only even started hearing about people doing the, these on an individual level, maybe seven to 10 years ago. And that is, of course, short-term rentals. Everybody's fascinated with them because everybody knows somebody who took a rental they had and turned it into a short-term rental and is bragging about how they're making two or three times the amount of money on it, or they bought themselves a, a house at the beach. And it used to be that when you did that, you, you just paid out the nose during the nine months a year, you weren't using it. But now they're saying, well, in the nine months a year, I'm not using it. I'm short-term renting it and it's paying for itself. So Guys, I get it. I get why everybody's so excited about short-term rentals, but it seems like um, there's a bottomless pit of desire amongst you listeners for different perspectives on this because, boy, oh boy, there's a lot of different ways to do short-term rentals. You may be a little surprised about who my guest is today because Robin Thompson is actually best known, and I mean for decades now, known as the queen of rehab. And she's always been very into buying and fixing and selling properties ranging from you know $50,000 kind of junker starter homes all the way up to million dollar luxury properties. But at the moment, her passion is short-term rentals. She's joining us from her horse ranch in Florida. Robin, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thanks for having me. And it's a fun subject to talk about for sure. Yeah. And uh, this is, this was, I think, a little bit of a surprise to those of us who have known you for many years, because I know you've, you've had rentals, like I, yes. the whole time you've been doing rehabbing, you've had rentals, but this idea that you would go personally so strongly into the Airbnb business that I, I understand you're now building your own Airbnbs was kind of a, whoa, <laughs> what's going on with Robin? Yeah. What, what is it that you love so much about these? 
Well, Vina, I was a landlord just like you've been, and we've all had our share of problem tenants who seem to do a number on the house, and sometimes you scratch your head and go, well, why am I in this? Um, I took one of my vacation rentals and flipped it into, or one of my normal rentals and flipped it into a vacation rental, and it made three times what a normal rental will make. And you and I are both conservatives. We've been in this game a long time, and I looked at it and said, okay, what if I took all the extra money this house is throwing? you know, more than it ever did. And I applied it to the mortgage. And what I figured out is I could get a lot of my rental properties paid off in five years instead of taking 15 to 25. Mm. And when you think about how fast that wealth accelerates and how stronger of a financial position you're in in a short period of time, I couldn't come up with any reason to keep the rentals. And so vacation rentals run correctly, and that's why I'm so psyched to be able to teach that when I'm with you in November, is a business that will really, really build wealth much faster in a normal rental portfolio. And Mm -hmm. that's what we're all in this game for. We're in for the passive income that takes care of us when we get old without us doing a whole lot of work. Uh, And so that's why it is. I have never in my 25 years of investing seen a strategy so powerful as the nightly rentals if you do them right. And you just you just made a pro Airbnb argument that I don't think I have ever heard anyone else make. That it take all that spare cash that you're rolling in, use it to pay off your property so that you have that 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 dream, right? Everybody wants to be an ender. And right. ender means I have passive investments that more than support my lifestyle. But instead of doing that at 70 or 80, maybe you can do it at 35 or 40. Right. And I mean, Vina, I fought it just like everybody else. I'm like, who's going to clean it? You know, I don't want to change sheets and wash towels every four days. I mean, I fought the whole entire concept for about a year. And then finally I got tired of people nagging at me to try it. And I said, okay, I'll take one of my rentals. I have two houses side by side. Uh, They would rent for $12.50 a month. And I took one of them and furnished it. And not well, I can tell you that in the beginning. And uh, it did a little over $35,000 my first year when it was renting for $12.50 a month. So if you look at $12.50 a month times 12, it's $14,000 versus $35,000. It was phenomenally different. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm like, holy crap, if I take this extra you know, $20K a year and apply it to a mortgage on a $125,000 house, it's not going to take very long to pay this thing off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, now, when to we me, come back from our first break here, we're going to talk about uh, the the kinds of short term rentals that you like because you've gotten pretty specific about areas, property types, all of that sort of stuff, and uh, everything from financing to insurance to how how do you go about the management? All that stuff's going to be covered today, folks. So just uh, sit back, relax, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today about another view on short-term rentals with Robin Thompson, the former queen of rehab. I don't know what we should call you now, Robin. You're like the queen of everything <laughs> these days. About, I don't know about that. But <laughs> um, we had a meeting last week at our real estate association where we had a panel of people who all did short-term rentals and gosh, the span of what they did. I mean, it was yeah. amazing. Like one 
only did beach rentals in a particular area. One had what I would term, um, almost like low end Airbnbs, like in a, in a C class neighborhood had taken a couple of apartments out of a building and was renting those out by the night and not, not for a bunch of money, but it was a bunch more money than the long-term rentals were, uh, producing and one who arbitraged Airbnbs. And I mean, it was, it was insane watching that panel and going, man, there's just so many different ways to do this, different properties, different areas, different, some of, some of them didn't want anything bigger than three bedrooms because they thought it was problematic for, you know, it becoming a party house. And some of them were like, Oh no, I love those big houses. Cause then I get the bridal showers and I get the uh, business conferences and I get, uh, you know, I stay full all the time. So you have your thing too, Robin. Well, what is your thing? Well, Vina, I hate to say it. I run the gamut. I've got something as cheap as $99 a night, which uh, a B minus house. Uh, as big as houses that go for 700 a night. Ooh. And so I've got everything from as small as a two bedroom, as big as a house that sleeps 22. And I have actually multiples of those. Um, I can tell you, I prefer to rent to well-to-do families. And that seems to be my Branson, Missouri market. Um, those houses are four bedrooms, five bedrooms, and six bedrooms. And I've learned it's just as easy to get $700 a night as it is to get 99. Hmm. Um, So I've positioned myself to attract the folks who go on vacation, who don't party it up and make a mess. Um, And so that's why for me, my houses are done really well. Furniture's a $50,000 investment on a six bedroom up front and luxury linens and that kind of stuff. But I attract people that you know, can afford it and take well care of it. And usually when they leave, it's coming back to me about in the same condition as they got it. So um, I fought this. I started out with a small one, $99 a night, and it was booked about 26, 27 nights out of the month. So it was doing around $2,600 a month. Um, considering it was running for 1200 that made good logical sense. And then after I get over the fear of that one, I did a small dated 1980s house that has a small swimming pool. Uh, for 159 a night, and that thing slammed all the time, and then upgraded to something that's 250 a night, and kind of have grown it over the last three and a half years. Um, so I can tell you, there's something for everybody. But I would tell you, uh, I'm not big on renting rooms, and I'm not big on renting a couch. I don't think you're going to get rich doing that. So at 25 or 30 bucks a night, but I've migrated to the higher clientele who take better care of stuff. And, I, you know, it's rare I have a party or somebody that does something wild and crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had 3,500 stays in the last three years. So I've had plenty of check-in and check-outs to get experience with. And I am managing it myself. I am not using anybody else or any property manager to do so. Oh, we are definitely coming back to that. I have 12 of them being in and honestly, if you run it right, it only takes about three hours a week and I can't see giving up a large portion of my profits to somebody else who checks out on Friday night. And if there is an issue, there's nobody to handle it until Monday morning, which does nothing but piss a guest off. And then you end up with low star ratings. Um, Your reviews are really the most important thing of all. And that's what keeps you getting booked and booked and booked. And I mean, I've had houses that have been booked 320 nights a year. Um, so I go after stuff where I'm really looking, the more nice I can get booked, the better off it is. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, that's one of the reasons I like to keep my eyes and ears on it myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So have you more or less started, uh, 
specializing in that Branson, Missouri market? I have two markets. And here was my original thought. My first thought was when I got into this, I'm like, oh, I want 12 different locations. I want Hawaii and Aruba and Jamaica, all the places I want to go visit. And I thought, how cool would it be to spend one week in each one of those places? And then I realized real quick, 12 cleaning teams, 12 different maintenance teams. And if something goes wrong, how do I get to Honolulu pretty quick? So I decided that idea, even though it was a fantasy, probably not the best business plan. And so what I decided is to do half of them in Florida, here where I live, because we have something called the World Equestrian Horse Center that was built um, right in my hometown, which is a sporting event. So anybody has got something close by that's a big sporting event, that's an attraction. Um, so I do half of them here in Ocala where my horse farm's at, and I do half of them in Branson, Missouri. And the reason I picked the two markets is I thought, well, Florida's busy all winter long when Branson's slow. Florida's probably not so busy in the summer when it's so stinking hot, you really don't want to come here. So Branson's super slammed from uh, Memorial Weekend through Labor Day. So I thought, well, that way I'm busy all the time somewhere, so the cash flow is constantly coming. What I've learned is Florida's busy 12 months out of the year and Branson's busy 10. So um, the only time it's a little bit slow in Branson is January and February. But other than that, it seems to be pretty steady the rest of the 10 months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned as I went and what I would tell everybody, pick a market where your season is long, because that's where the real profits come in. That's the thing that scares me about some of the beach ideas, especially the northern beaches, you know, uh, New Jersey and stuff like that is your your season's so short. You're not getting those peak premium dollars for more than three or more, three or four months out of the year. So if you can pick a destination you want that's got a long season. That's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these days you kind of like the luxury market. So I, we, we can imagine what kind of houses you are buying and building. You, you uh, don't buy your furniture at the outlet store or at the uh, secondhand store. Uh, you're, you're attracting a particular kind of clientele on purpose. And it sounds like it's vacation travelers who are families. Right. Well, in the beginning, I did a lot of that entry level furniture type stuff. And I can't say that all of mine are the luxury stuff. Uh, I've got four that are for the average American traveler um, and they do really well. I just looked at it and said, if I really want to make a lot of money at this, I'm not going to get rich at sixty nine or eighty nine dollars a night. It's just not going to happen because you've got the same cable bill, the same water bill and about the same electric bill, no matter what price range per night you play in. And so I slowly crept up to $550,000 house. It's a six bedroom, six bath. It sleeps 20. And at peak season, it's $700 a night. And I thought, now who, who would pay that? Um, but what I found is like grandma and grandpa who are pretty well off rent the house and then daughter and husband and three kids come and then son and wife and two kids all come and they all come together, three families in a house. And it's way cheaper than five or six hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. And um, that's usually not the partying crowd. So, yeah. I, and that's what I went after out in Branson because Branson brings that because they've got almost a hundred shows a night and then the amusement park and then all the lakes and everything. So families love to come there. So that worked well for me. Uh, and so that's why now I'm primarily doing most of my vacation rentals, all the new things I'm adding to the equation in Branson because it's such a draw and there's so many attractions. I mean, the guy that, founded Bass Pro, who then went on to build all the Bass Pros in the United States and then buy all of Cabela's, lives in the town. 
And so he's a massive draw with a lot of attractions and a whole bunch of new things he's building. So uh, Branson has actually went from 2 million travelers a few years ago to 10.5 million. And it was pretty much COVID proof because of all the lakes. A lot of people did fishing and water skiing and there was a lot of golfing going on. So when COVID hit, we saw some reversals for about six weeks. And then we were slammed right after that when everybody figured they could social distance on the lake and the mm -hmm. golf courses. So that's one of the reasons I like Branson. It's a low cost to entry, but the revenue is high. Mm -hmm. I, I chuckled when you said the houses that sleep 22 people, because I have rented that house. I mean, not <laughs> your specific house, but uh, I am I am about three times a year in search of that house because we have um, mastermind groups. Right. That right. it's business people. We're not a family, but we definitely don't party as wild as it gets is you know, laughing over some real estate deal, but trying to find houses that size is really hard. And I have absolutely paid $700 a night for houses like that. Because when you talk about taking what works out to, you know, 11 couples and putting them in separate hotel rooms, mm -hmm. 700 a night is so much cheaper yeah. <laughs> and you can, and you can cook meals there. You don't have to go out. So yeah, I, I, I totally get it that just because you have a house that will sleep that many people does not mean you're going to get partiers because we are not partiers. <laughs> well, my thing is I don't allow a one night booking. So that eliminates a lot of the parties. And it's rare for me to just do weekends off season. I'll do just a two night booking, but for the most part, mine are three nights or more. And so, you know, your partiers want to book one night and come in and leave a big mess behind. So that's one of the reasons I don't do one night bookings. Hmm. Hmm. That's eliminated a lot of that headache for me. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So when we come back from the break, I want to talk about what sorts of financing are available for these, because I know that lots of people struggle with going to their local bank and saying, I'm starting an Airbnb. And they say, I don't know what to do with that. So when we come back, we'll talk about financing insurance and lots of other stuff that might help you decide to become an Airbnb owner. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, we're talking today to Robin Thompson about her particular way of approaching the short-term rental business because it's 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 a business that's kind of in its maybe it's past its adolescence, it's into its late teens a little bit, but you know, for many years there was no way to find any information out about how to like start or run or furnish or insure or finance an Airbnb other than finding someone who had done it and like taking them to lunch and trying to pick their brains. Um, now there's folks who've done it for long enough that they're teaching it. And in fact, Robin is one of those people. And at the OREA National Real Estate Summit that's coming up on November 3rd through 6th here in Cincinnati, ladies and gentlemen, uh, she's going to have an entire day on Thursday where she's going to talk partly about her usual love of rehabbing and reselling properties, but then part of the day on maybe not selling them, maybe holding on to them as Airbnbs and, you know, paying them off in five, six, seven years and having that source of income available 
to you into your old age. So put that on your calendar, November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. We'll be talking more about how you can sign up for that a little bit later on in the year on real life, real estate investing. So Robin, this financing issue, this is, this is why I say this, this is still an industry that's kind of not fully matured yet because conventional lenders don't love it when you come to them and say, I'm buying a property for investment and it's going to be an Airbnb. And often they will say, well, we need to see like a lease that is with a person who's going to be there for 12 months or we don't know how to evaluate it. So how are people getting financing on these properties? Well, first of all, you know, there's four ways to get financing on a vacation rental. Um, the first for the folks with little or nothing down is called rental arbitrage, where basically you rent a house and then you go ahead and put it to Airbnb. What I would tell you on that, the first time I heard somebody thinking they were going to do that, I had every reason why you shouldn't um, until one of my students actually did it. What I would tell you is you need to make sure that the person you're renting from fully understands it's going to be a vacation rental and you need to make sure you've got plenty of insurance on it and that you're going to handle all the repairs and any damage that's handled. Um, And so renting one and then putting it on Airbnb is one strategy. Uh, The second strategy that most first timers use is buying the house as a second home and qualifying for a loan with 10% down that way. The good news of doing that is you do get to count the rental income on Airbnb. They make you do uh, a projection of how many nights you're going to rent it and at what number. Um, so that's okay. The one thing you got to watch is you got to make sure you know how many nights you're allowed to rent it out versus how many nights you're supposed to be using it and make sure you follow those guidelines. The good news with doing it as a second home, the interest rate's really low and the down payment's low. Uh, the third way, which is how I finance the majority of mine, In Branson, on my new builds and on my stuff that I bought from people that already had them as vacation rentals, it's what's called a commercial line of credit. And, you know, I've got so many houses that I can't go get a normal mortgage at a bank. They treat me like a third-class citizen. And so when I first heard about using a commercial line of credit and going to a bank, I thought, there's no way. This means I'm going to go in there and they're going to treat me like every other rental I tried to buy and turn me down, even though I have 800 credit scores and money. Because I've got too many properties. What I didn't realize is with the commercial line of credit, they expect you to have a lot of real estate and they actually hope you do so that you have experience. Um, but what they do is it's a 20% down loan and they do an amortization over 20 or 25 years, depending on which one you pick. And then it does have a five-year balloon on it where you've got to be making your payments on time. And then, uh, you know, it's usually the interest rates are in the high fours to low fives on that. And that's worked out really well. And what they use to finance it is what's called a performance statement, where you take a vacation rental that's either in the same complex or close by, and you can use that revenue that your competitors make as your estimate on what your house is going to do. And so I own a bunch of houses in a place called Branson Canyon. It's a development of 62 vacation rentals. And so I was able to take other six bedroom houses and say what they've done because you can get all that information on air DNA. And I could use all that and say, okay, this is what my house is going to rent for at the low season. This is what it's going to bring in peak season. This is what it'll do at Christmas time. This is what it'll do at Thanksgiving. 
and everybody else in the six bedroom house is bringing in a hundred grand. So I'm going to be conservative and say 90. And then they use those numbers to qualify for the loan and cover the mortgage and approve me. And actually, once they did that, it was so simple on the number two, three, four, five, and six house. They just used all the numbers on the first one. And I really didn't have to go through the requalification process a second and third time. Um, so that has worked out really, really well for me. My rates are locked at 4.375 for five years. So as interest rates keep climbing, I'm not really worried about it. And I do take all the extra money these houses are throwing. And I've been smacking them to the mortgage to get them paid down. So if we do have a pretty good interest rate hike in five years, I shouldn't feel it because my payments will actually drop. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. primarily how I'm doing most of the ones in Branson. And then I have a few here in Florida that I have bought with seller financing, um, where I give the seller a chunk of money down and then so much a month for 100 months. Uh, and that's worked out really well for me to do seller financing on some distressed properties and be able to rehab them and keep them for vacation rentals here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned uh, arbitrage as the first one, and I, I, I felt the same way you did when I first heard about that. I thought, I see the benefit, which is, especially if you're testing an Airbnb and you just want to commit to it for a year, mm-hmm. uh, you sign a year lease with the, the guy who's renting it and let him know what's going to happen and carry the insurance, like you said. And if after a year it's really awesome, then you can keep it. And if after a year it's not awesome, you take the furniture out and say, you know, not going to renew my lease. But on the flip side, I sort of thought, or I could lose a really great Airbnb after a year. So I didn't pursue it until uh, I met somebody who was (laughs) doing it successfully. And uh, I now have one of those arbitraged Airbnbs, but instead of just leasing it, I have a lease with option to buy on it. And we're probably going to go ahead and close that uh, in July, which will be a year because it's making all kinds of money. (laughs) Yay. Good for you. So it's a, yeah, it's a keeper. If it had turned out to not be so great, of course, we could have just said, yeah, here's your house back. It's in better condition than it was when you, (laughs) when you leased it to us. Thanks for the opportunity. And bye-bye so yeah arbitraging is definitely something to look into well you know one of the best arbitrages i have is a a student of mine who's very close to me like a son uh got a beach cottage and i mean this is seven hundred thousand dollar house but i mean there's no way the numbers work because his season in the carolinas is very short so the folks had it for almost 50 years and couldn't take care of it and so he traded doing maintenance on it and repairs for the first six months free. And he does now about $55,000 a year on the house. And what he's done is a five-year lease at $1,250 a month. And so, you know, he took somebody who couldn't take care of a house anymore and brought it back to life and then gave it a purpose. And they're thrilled to see it all fixed up and people using it. And, uh, you know, they're good for the, not to have the taxes and insurance and all the worries anymore. Mm-hmm. And they so, get they get rent twelve months a year, which might right. not be the case if they <laughs> were trying to do that themselves. Yeah, well, so they left it empty for almost five years. Oh my! Yep. So he stumbled across it, and it's it's got a beautiful dock and deep water. So he's done well with it, and you know I think he was smart to go ahead and extend the lease for five more years. So it worked out great for him. Mm-hmm. First time he told me about it, I'm like, who's going to do that? Who's going to rent that to you? 
And, but it was run down and it needed some love, which he put the elbow grease to it and it worked out perfect for him. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's, let's talk briefly about the insurance because I'm, I, I'm not sure people understand that Airbnb insurance is different than standard rental insurance. Yeah, I can tell you for me, I carry what's called vacation rental insurance on mine, and you need to make sure you find an insurance broker who offers it. Um, and they need to make sure that they're carrying the right kind of insurance because it's not a normal landlord policy that you get. The good news is it's not that much more expensive. I find, Vina, for me on my policies, when I take it off of a rental and I switch it over to a vacation nightly rental policy, my insurance only went up about $250 a year. So it wasn't anything astronomical. But the one thing that I didn't know in the beginning that I learned quick from one of my other friends who had the issue is you want to make sure your insurance has revenue replacement. So if something happens to your house, it will actually pay for your lost nights. Uh, I had a friend of mine who had a sewer back up on a house out in Branson and all this nasty stuff backed up in his living room and the house was not rentable last summer uh, at $600 a night for about two months. So he had lost revenue coverage that he had on his policy. So I didn't realize that that was a choice. So I went back and added that on to all of mine. Uh, so everybody needs to make sure they're carrying vacation rental coverage for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because when you, when you think about it, having people in and out of a house every three or four days creates a different liability situation right. than a normal landlord policy would cover too. So just, you know, if you're, if you're sitting on an Airbnb and you just put it in with your homeowner's policy or you put it in with no. your normal rental policy, um, maybe stop listening to us right now and call your insurance agent and make sure that you get that fixed because that's, um, you know, you got, you got people in there that you've never even met. They have children, they might have dogs. There's, there's all sorts of things that could go on there that you would not expect to go on in a uh, normal rental. And I don't mean that in a bad partying way. I just mean that in the sense that more people uh, coming and going is, of course, going to create more opportunities for everything from accidents to uh, the sewer backed up and we're mm-hmm. uh, going to be, uh, you know, moving out now. So when we come back, we are going to uh, talk more about Robin's uh, relatively recent love of uh, short-term rentals and particularly about this thing about you managing them yourself, Robin. I want to hear about that. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, trying to fill up that bottomless void you listeners seem to have about wanting to know about short-term rentals. And the thing is, it's kind of like saying, oh, I'm interested in short-term rentals is sort of like saying, oh, I'm interested in rentals. What kind, where, how big, how do you manage them? How do you, is it apartments? Is it single family homes? Is it mobile homes? Like there's a lot of different perspectives on this. And today we're getting the perspective of Robin Thompson. Yeah, same one, queen of rehab, that's her. It's just that now she is, bulking up her retirement income with short-term rentals that she is on track to pay off 
within five to 10 years after she buys them because they make lots of money and then they make more money, of course, after they're paid off and there's no more mortgage to deal with. Now, Robin, you said something really interesting toward the beginning, which was that you manage these yourself, even though the ones in Branson are, golly, they're, you know, you couldn't drive there, I don't think, in 10 hours and, you know, the way plane flights work there, you probably couldn't fly there in in less than four, four or five hours. So tell us about that. Like, how do you, quote, keep an eye on them? And how do you manage the bookings when you're so far away? Okay. First of all, Branson is 1,050 miles from home for me, which is a 16-hour drive that you don't ever want to do. That's the first thing. Being the most important thing is people need to understand how easy it is with Airbnb and VRBO. And I do use both platforms. Um, They do talk to each other. So if I get a booking on one, it takes it off the calendar of the other. And so what happens is I have Instabook set on on both calendars. So if somebody looks at my house online and they see it out in Branson and they say, oh, I want it, they can just go ahead and take it. So this morning, for example, I got a four-day booking for December. And they went ahead, the calendar was open, so they booked it. And then I get a little text message that said, hey, you got an Instabook. So on any given day, I've got 12 vacation rentals right now. I probably get four to five texts, which I read. So if you can read a text in a minute, it's not a whole lot of time. Um, Now, what I do on Monday morning, every Monday morning, right after I get up and have coffee, is I do what's called my calendar. And I actually take all the bookings for each house for the next two months And put them on an Excel spreadsheet. And I'm a simpleton, very low technology. I mean, Drew would laugh. I, you know, got off of a BlackBerry probably not more than two years ago to an iPhone. And I don't use hardly any of the apps. So uh, if I can do it, anybody can. And so what I do is I just take my bookings for the next eight weeks and I type them on a little Excel spreadsheet. So I've got one spreadsheet that has all 12 houses on it. And after I put all of the bookings on that spreadsheet, I just send that to my cleaning team. I have a cleaning team in Branson and I have a cleaning team here in Ocala that tells them who's checking out and who's checking in. My cleaning team in Branson cleans 100 houses. They have 27 people on the team out there. They're phenomenal. She taught me how to do this from afar. Um, our rules are everybody checks out at 10. Nobody gets to check in before four, which gives them six hours to flip one of my properties. And so they are there at 10 o'clock on the nose. And if there's any issues with the house, I know by 10, 15, which gives my maintenance person uh, about five and a half, six hours to fix anything that's wrong. Like I got the text yesterday, the coffee pot is taking like a half hour to make a pot of coffee. And so I was able to send the maintenance guy to Walmart to go ahead and do that. So you're able to do this from afar as long as you've got a great cleaning company and you got a really one good, really good maintenance person that can fix all the little stupid stuff, mm-hmm. like the chairs loose or the shower doors loose or something like that. And so my cleaning team out in Branson, anything that's an issue, I know immediately. And then I just disperse it out to the maintenance people and then they handle it. Um, So my job is once a week to come up with a list that I send to the cleaning team so they can look at how much work they have over the next eight weeks. And then they go ahead and they they go from there. Um, It's worked out really, really well for me. One of the things I don't like, because some of my students are using management companies, 
Uh, management companies seem to go to sleep Friday night at five o'clock. So let's say you have somebody go to check in Friday night and they can't get the, the code on the door to work and they're locked out. Well, for me, they'll call and I, I usually am able to take those calls and I can just tell them, here's an emergency key. We keep an extra one on a lockbox at the house. If the battery dies and the push button one on the door, then I can still get them in. The problem is with a management company, if they quit Friday at five o'clock and somebody's locked out Friday night, they don't have your phone number. They can't get a hold of you. And then things don't get resolved Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. The management company comes back to work on Monday and your guest is giving you a one star review, which gets you in a lot of trouble. And so for me to manage 12 of these it takes me about three hours to three and a half hours a week. Uh, I sit down on Monday right after I do the calendar and send everybody their check in information and how they get in. I don't meet people. I've got punch buck buttons on the door. Uh, so they can get in without me being there. And then as soon as the person checks out, the cleaning team handles it from there. Uh, one thing I can tell you, we can turn a house in four or five hours because I have double sets of sheets and double sets of towels. My cleaning team takes all the laundry off site, bags up all the dirty stuff, takes it out of the house. They're bringing in the second set, which has already been done. And they can literally turn a six bedroom house in two and a half to three hours if we need to. Hmm. Um, so it really is boiling down to picking the right team. And if you got mm -hmm. a good cleaning company and you got a good maintenance person, that's pretty much all you got to got got to have. Does your cleaning team specialize in short-term rental type properties? Because yeah. it sounds like they're not yeah. just the cleaning team; they're your eyes. Yes, they they specialize in vacation rentals, and and since they are such a good sized company, if anything does go nuts, like let's say somebody brought a dog and they weren't supposed to, and it peed on the floor and made a mess, they have rug shampooers, so they would just call me and say, hey. There was a dog in the house that peed in the living room. We're going to shampoo the carpets. There's going to be an extra $50 fee. So don't refund the security deposit. Make sure you take the $50 out of it. And so, so they invoiced me literally within the hour for that. And uh, that way it's coming out of the guests, not out of me. So if there's something, you know, once in a while you have something nuts like that, then they're handling it. I mean, they've got an ozone machine. So if somebody smokes marijuana in your house and it's a non-smoking house, they take care of that. They'll change the filters out of the HVAC so that clears a lot of the smell out too. I did have that once out of 3,500 bookings. <laughs> um, um, had a bunch of girls come in for Valentine's Day and decided they would, you know, not not leave the house. And so the house smelled pretty bad after that. So I, I knew by 10:15 I knew to keep their security deposit and they handled it. Uh, that's why I would tell everybody, go to Google and Google vacation rental cleaning companies. And, and that works out really well. And I mean, I go out to Branson once every three months uh, just to stock stuff. And being, I'm really different than a lot of hosts. I like to provide coffee and sugar and sweet and low and creamer and laundry soap and fabric softener and lots of trash bags. My houses are fully stocked with hand soap, shampoo, conditioner, body wash and all that. I'm a travel snob, as you know, you too, because you speak. We've traveled hundreds and hundreds of nights. And there's nothing worse than checking a, a hotel at 11 o'clock at night and the first thing in the morning, there's nothing for coffee, nothing to drink. So I leave all kinds of refreshments for the guests. I just think when people are spending six or $700 a night, there ought to be some bottled waters and a few sodas in the refrigerator. And so I'll go out once every three months just to make sure the stock is all stocked up. But my cleaning team provides their own cleaning supplies. So I don't have to provide for them. Um, and so I just like to make sure there's plenty of K-cups for the Keurig and 
and that kind of stuff. And they do fill up all that stuff as long as I've got it in the owner's closet. So I just check on my houses about once every three months. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I think if there's a, if there's a key service provider in the short-term rental business, it is that cleaning team. The folks that I know who are struggling with their short-term rentals, they'll say, man, I was there from 10.05 to 3.55 yesterday cleaning the house myself. It's because they tried to just hire somebody who cleans residential homes mm -hmm. and doesn't doesn't have the eye for things like, wait a minute, there were six chairs here last time we were here and now there's only five. We better tell somebody and get the sixth chair back in here. So yeah, that anything tip about or broken, I know by 10, 15. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the and other that's... thing that people try to do, Vina, is they try to keep that 150 or $200 cleaning fee for themselves. So they're cleaning their own stuff and they wonder why they're exhausted. Um, <laughs> it's not worth it. I, I mean, and I don't profit off of what I charge for the cleaning team. If key to clean is charging me $200 for my six bedroom, six bath, I'm charging the guest $200. I call that pass-through revenue. And I don't count that. To me, that's not revenue. Mm -hmm. um, I, but I don't try to profit above and beyond what my cleaning fees are. And the other thing I think everybody needs to understand, a hot tub really increases your revenue by ten dollars to $12,000 a year. But it needs to be cleaned not every Tuesday. It needs to be cleaned after every guest. And so uh, my hot tubs are checked at 10 o'clock when everybody checks out. And if they need to be dumped and scrubbed and refilled, that's a $50 fee. If it needs chemicals, it's a $30 fee. And trying to do all of that stuff yourself, cleaning the house, cleaning the hot tub, mow the lawn and all that, you're going to get worn out really quick and you're only going to have one. Yeah, so, exactly. You can only, it, it doesn't scale. Right, <laughs> right. To... That's why I'm so glad that Key to Clean is so awesome and they have 100 houses. They're managing uh, houses for people overseas who haven't seen their house in a year and it's beautiful. So I knew they were the right answer and the right solution for me and Branson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you folks who are thinking about getting short-term rentals, make sure that you start looking for a cleaning team because everybody I know who is struggling with their uh, short-term rentals is struggling over the cleaning team piece of it. And this isn't something, this is, this is a, because you're able to pass through the expense this isn't a place to be cheap. This isn't a place to say, well, I'm going to hire my neighbor because she charges less than one of these vacation rental cleaning places. Well, Robin, appreciate your perspective. And if folks want to hear more of Robin's perspective and some more in-depth training on this topic, as well as rehab, put it on your calendar, November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th here in Cincinnati, the big national real estate summit. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.